Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we're talking about Kylo Ren. <laughs> Yay! It's been yeah. so long. <laughs> I... Caitlin's not that excited because she is sad, <laughs> but I am happy. <laughs> I'm I yeah mm. <laughs> it's a return to form Caitlin <laughs> it's a return to form but now we exist in 2020 where <laughs> things are so much different I know <laughs> but we are going to be talking about the rise of Kylo Ren comic which came out last year right before episode nine came out <laughs> mm-hmm And so that first issue came out on December 18th, 2019, which is, you know, that was such a busy week. If you remember, there was two Mandalorian episodes. There was The Rise of Skywalker. There was this. It was like jam-packed with stuff. It was crazy. And it concluded March 11th, 2020. I just, that whole week, like that five days, (laughs) I mean... It's funny, but it was kind of emotionally traumatic, too. I know. There are so many things. Because <laughs> we, we knew about Ben's death ahead of time, and uh, we went through the five stages of grief with that. At least I did. And throughout, like, the whole, like, day and a half leading up to the film, because that's when we found out, we saw the film, walked out into the middle of traffic. Um, <laughs> then we had the season finale of The Mandalorian, and then uh, – I basically sat in a catatonic place on that Friday after Dross came out and didn't move for 24 hours. And then that following Monday, I quit my job. (laughs) (laughs) So. (laughs) And then it was Christmas. (laughs) It's it's kind of crazy. (laughs) But. Uh, yes, I so I, I did not actually read this comic until very recently, as in like this week, because uh, like Charlotte said, it, it did make me a little sad. And I kind of think for a while I was operating out of the place of like, why does it matter? <laughs> yeah. Because I know that this comic was going to make me feel a certain way about Kylo Ren and about Ben Solo, especially because of, you know, obviously, like I saw a lot of screenshots i filled her in yeah exactly yeah. Like, like i didn't know what happened in it but i was like that's gonna that comic's gonna make me sad because i know it's going to build empathy for ben solo and i'm still i'm still sad about where his character ended in the rise of skywalker so i think that's kind of the mindset i was operating out of and honestly i still kind of feel that way but i'm glad that i read the comic now um of course we've heard a lot from charles soul recently he was recently on um a really super exclusive interview with what the force which is great to listen to as well as doing a short story a non-canon short story with uh friends of the force with brad and sarah's show and that was all uh funded by listeners of those shows doing charity, basically. And Charles, so I'm not explaining this well, but Charles basically set up an auction uh, and like a charity fundraiser in exchange for doing a podcast interview as well as a non-canon short story about Ben Solo. And uh, it happened through the What the Force and Friends of the Force podcast. It was all really great. If you haven't checked out those things, 
you definitely should because they are gifts to the fandom and <laughs> especially to people who are fans of the character of Ben Solo. But it's kind of the perfect time now, I think, for us to kind of go through the comic a little bit now. Here's the thing. I So Kylo Ren is probably... Kylo Ren is probably my favorite character in all of Star Wars, and that is definitely obviously a new development, and I love Padme. I will always love Padme, but I do think that I find myself way more interested in new Kylo Ren stories than I do with Padme, so I think that's where I come down to with with that sort of... Um, arrangement at this point you know <laughs> and because of that yeah <laughs> I was always really excited for this comic I was probably hoping that it was going to be a tv show or some other form but I actually really like the comic form um and I think that Charles did a great job writing it I really liked it overall I am really happy to be talking about it because honestly like Caitlin mentioned there just wasn't time for us to get to it in a timely and a concise in a an analytical way way back then so now in july here we are finally discussing it and <laughs> it's it's funny because i look at that date of it finished march 11th and i'm like oh that was like yesterday and it really wasn't but that's just how time moves now in 2020 <laughs> and i am really really happy to be talking about kylo ren again uh and i'm really excited to dive into this yeah this will be the first time we've really talked at length about him since the rise of skywalker i mean we had yeah. our rise of skywalker analysis episodes but i honestly like we we talked about kylo ren in those obviously and ben solo but i not that i honestly remember <laughs> all, all of that conversation we had back in january but or maybe february january but it i feel like it it focused more on other aspects of the rise of skywalker more but this will be good. It, it is a return to form. I can't say that I'm like not a little bit nervous to be talking about it, <laughs> but I am excited to talk about Kylo Ren and Ben Solo. And this is such an important story in his in his timeline. The things that happen in this comic, you know, it's obviously there are spoilers in this episode, and I sh that should be obvious <laughs> since it ended a couple months ago, but. Um, this is a really important time, and I think the things that happen in this comic is a lot of what the Raylo community and fans of the Ben Solo character and fans of Star Wars had talked so much about leading up to the Rise of Skywalker, and a lot of what we've speculated on as far as how Kylo Ren came to be. There were so many questions about what happened, what really happened that night at the temple, and I like that this comic gives us that but also still leaves some things unanswered i thought that was really well done that piece of it mm -hmm. yes before we dive into our reactions let's talk about how this is going to be a two-part episode so in part one we're going to be talking about our reactions and in part two we'll do more in-depth discussion so without further ado let's get started so who talks first you talk first i talk first Welcome to part one, where we're going to be discussing our reactions. I think Caitlin had kind of touched on what she initially liked about it and how things had uh, given not everything away. And I totally agree with that. Um, so Caitlin, kind of kind of go for it. What did you think <laughs> about this? What was your opinion? Walking away from it as you finish the fourth installment, what do you think of The Rise of Kylo Ren? I thought it was a good comic. I liked that it I liked that it was short and sweet, honestly. I thought that each comic was a good 
length. I thought the story was compelling. I really liked this is going to shock all of you. I liked the Knights of Ren in this. (laughs) We'll talk about it more in the next part, but kind of the the mythology, I guess, or the way that the Knights of Ren are presented in this comic, um, way better than anything in the films. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I was pleasantly surprised at that. I don't think that was a piece of the comics that I had kind of kept in my brain as having already knew about, you know what I mean? Like I knew I had seen it when the comic was uh, being released in real time. And of course, like you talking to me about it, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that I kind of remembered and it wasn't something that honestly a ton of people were talking about, at least not what I had seen. And so it was kind of this almost like a little surprise exactly what the dialogue was surrounding the Knights of Ren in this comic. And I actually really liked it. Yeah, I completely agree. I just reread it. I read it when it came out um, monthly. So reading it all together was actually a great joy. And I can't wait to buy the final trade paperback to have that all together as a book and to put it on my shelf. You guys know I love that. (laughs) I I think that overall, I give this comic like an A. I I really liked it. I think it would have been an A plus if, I don't know... I, there's something a little bit lacking in the fact that I wasn't 100% really surprised by anything in the comic. Yeah. A story doesn't need to surprise me, but I also think that you and I are very, very close to the character of Kylo Ren, where we've spent hours and hours talking about him, his origins, what it means to be a legend, which is something that is completely touched upon in this comic, which I really, really am so happy that it was discussed. I'm not, I'm not saying that. It's just, I don't think anything in the comic I was like, wow, I can't believe that. I didn't expect that, except for the fact that it was kind of unsaid about what actually happened at the temple. Yeah. Um, I think that surprised me, but it didn't surprise me in a story sense. It surprised me in a kind of out of universe sense that that question was not answered. I think this whole thing kind of brings me to my next question of, since this comic didn't 100% surprise me, like a lot of things didn't really you know, surprise me and kind of uh, make me, my brain kind of flip a little bit in some ways that Star Wars stories generally do in terms of timelines and things. I wonder who this comic was for, who the primary audience was for this comic, uh, whether or not it was people who really wasn't, who were in support of Kylo Ren's redemption arc or the opposite in order to kind of peel that back a little bit more to make Kylo Ren more sympathetic, which I think this comic did do. It depicted him as a boy. It depicted him as conflicted, quiet, um, someone who didn't really have a lot of close friends and his, his, his basically his one close friend. I think it was such a touching relationship, but there's still a little bit of a strain there that you feel some sympathy for. You know, I think that you look at Ben Solo and you think about him as someone who is prone to isolating himself and all all these things. I just wonder who the target audience of this comic was. And I think it's just a little unclear. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that you're right. Like nothing in this comic necessarily surprised me when it came to 
the actual character of Kylo Ren. I think that the way that he talks about his legacy, the way that people talk about him choosing a path or having the darkness and light within him, the meaning, the weight of his name or the lack of weight that there is, mm-hmm. depending on you know who's talking about him. I think these are all things that have kind of existed, at least like within our community online. These are things that we've all kind of talked about. And so I don't necessarily think that that surprised people who view the character like we do. It's weird because like as you were talking, I was kind of like, this almost feels like a condensed or like Cliff Notes uh, version or presentation of why you should have sympathy for Kylo Ren, Kylo Ren 101 <laughs> because like <laughs> you know it's four issues like I said I think it was a good length kind of looking at this one episode of Kylo Ren's life or the transition from Ben Solo to Kylo Ren's life um, that night of the temple but it the things that it puts in there are just like little pieces of these bigger things that have kind of been building within Kylo Ren. This is the tipping point. The Night of the Jedi Temple, that's the tipping point. But we get like a little piece of Snoke's manipulation from when Kylo Ren was even younger, from when Ben Solo was younger, when they're on the ship with Loris Nanteca, which, hello, shout out Loris Nanteca. Love that guy. Loris <laughs> um, Nanteca and Luke and Ben when they go to the old Jedi Temple where they meet the Knights of Ren for the first time and you see that little speech bubble that's you know Snoke or I guess Palpatine (laughs) Um, and it's clear that that's been there for a long time but that's like the only little snippet we get of that and then we have Ben say to Snoke when he comes to him like wow look at what Luke did to you and but we don't really have that whole story and then we have Kylo saying to um, Ty uh you know, when he talks about how the darkness and light claimed him from the beginning, like this is clearly something like that, I think was really big. And I almost wonder, you know, like Kylo has been, Ben has been living in this kind of world between the light and dark for so long. And not only that, but it's something he's very aware of. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. It's almost like he's aware of his, of the people manipulating him and he just doesn't know what to do about it. Or maybe he doesn't even have the right words to describe that he's being manipulated, especially since it was happening from his birth, like he said, but he's aware of it enough to say that the dark and light have claimed him since his birth, you know, and I think that those are the really interesting pieces that were kind of laid in this comic. I think that The Last Jedi does a good job of, like we talked about, like the Rashomon effect. I think The Last Jedi, in a way, kind of, in my opinion, I guess, and again, I that's one of my favorite movies, gives you, like, tells you that things are not what they seem at the Jedi Temple that night, that it is not entirely Luke's fault. It is not entirely Kylo's fault, that there are other things at play here, and both of them mishandled the situation. I think The Last Jedi does that well enough on its own. So again, mm-hmm. it's like, who is this comic for? Where And I, I don't even know what I'm saying. Like I'm kind of monologuing here. <laughs> but this does feel almost, like I said, like a cliff notes of, here's the conflict that Kylo has been feeling. But... I think the movies have shown that too. So was this more about the plot? Was this more geared towards people who didn't, like you said, who maybe weren't thinking that Kylo needed redemption? I'm not really sure. 
Right, because at the end of the day, this also does show his his fall to the dark side and rise as Kylo Ren, as the title says. Yeah. And he does commit some atrocious act at the end, right? Yeah, that definitely. His, his eyes turn yellow. It's not like this is... I think the point of the comic at the end of the day is sympathy for Ben Solo showing his origin story as most origin stories are supposed to do for us to understand why, you know, what makes the monster, you know? Mm-hmm. But I still am a little confused. Like, recently when I watched The Last Jedi about two weeks ago, I, which, oh, surprise, guys, I watched The Last Jedi <laughs> two weeks ago. That was the first time I had watched it since, uh, since before The Rise of Skywalker. And I was really, I had a great time with it. But I have to say, I was, it was an interesting experience watching the temple blow up and that whole when I came to the temple was burning um conversation from Luke. Luke my mom was like what what happened and I was like oh god it's so complicated it's hard for me to say oh Ben burned the temple when I don't even really know that myself and I think that's okay I'm I'm comfortable living in this unknowing but I think that this is something that should have been discussed in the movies, which is probably the next thing of there's some things here that I think would have been benefited by discussing in the movies. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that the story isn't valuable or the story is like, like you said, cliff notes. I don't know. if I think that's a, that's a little harsh because in a lot of ways, comics Every, and everyone books benefits and stuff. from cliff notes, though. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's not it's not it's not negative. I just I think I'm getting a little pedantic about the words and everything. It's just I still wonder who this is for. And I guess it's for me because I I enjoyed it. And here we are discussing it. And mm. I I liked it. I've read it twice now, as I mentioned. And I do think I have a clear understanding of Ben Solo. This is the first time we've seen Ben Solo at this age. We saw him as a toddler. We've seen him um, just before The Force Awakens um, in a different comic. But I could be wrong about this, but this is the only time that we've seen him as like a teenager, as in, in Luke's Jedi Temple and all these things. So that's a joy. I think that this is something that I would love to be expanded. I want this so badly. I want a series. I wish that this was a series. And I feel like I'm just contradicting what I said before. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I regardless, I really liked it. So I guess I guess it is for me, but I still question some of the choices about the the temple burning with no answers. Um, yeah, I th- that's really the only thing that I really question. Everything else really makes sense to me and is a really great exploration into choices and. Uh, the shadow. I like how that is woven in. I think uh, mm-hmm. Charles Soule does, does a really great job of that. And there are several lines that I have stopped and thought about and have written down to discuss that I think are so meaningful and things that I want to come back to. And uh, overall, I think it's a really great exploration of a comic. And, and this comic sold so well. There's clearly a market for people who want more Kylo Ren stories. And that cannot be um, breezed over because stuff like this, these sort of origin story i think it kind of proves that maybe it should have been a little bit more than a like a four series com a four comic series you know but but i'm glad that we have it i think it's interesting in this kind of greater conversation of like the use of the character of kylo ren i think people like us have often said that they're 
I think I think all of us look at Kylo Ren and we're like, he's so popular. Why does he have the least content? <laughs> mm-hmm. And there, it kind of doesn't make sense because, like you said, this comic has has it was the number one best selling comic of 2020 or something crazy like that. Like every single issue of it sold out immediately, and they mm-hmm. started doing like second runs of it. I think a second and third even. Like it, it's done insanely well, and it's kind of crazy when you think that Kylo. I think throughout all three films has the least amount of dialogue. I mean, especially in the Rise of Skywalker, and you know even his screen time in the Last Jedi is like low (laughs) compared Mm -hmm. to other characters and in the force awakens too so it's kind of crazy that they have such this nuanced interesting good character that has kind of the least amount of visibility and the fact that you know this is kind of the only one of the few times that we're actually truly seeing things from kylo's point of view um, or from Ben's point of view. Listen, I'm just going to mess that up a lot throughout this. <laughs> um, you know, obviously we get that in the films, but a lot more of Ben in the films is like more contemplative or it's Ray's perspective of him, his perspective of her. We don't get a ton of his internal monologue or like really seeing how he thinks about things. I think we read a lot into it as fans of his character, but like actual straight dialogue from him saying the kinds of things he said in this comic we certainly don't get in the films. And that's not a dig at the films or anything. It's just kind of, I think, what was needed for each medium. But this is, like, there's so much Kylo Ren in this comic. Like, he has more dialogue in this comic than he did in Tron's. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but at the same time, I think that his says not much personality in the the way that he's depicted in – the films is part of his intrigue. You're wondering what's under underneath the mask, what's going on in his head, what is he thinking, and the will they, won't they of mm-hmm. Ray and Kylo, I think is is a major component of why people are intrigued by this and why ultimately people bought the rise of Kylo Ren. And oh, yeah. it and playing with that is interesting and I think something that creators are cognitive of. Of course we want more Kylo Ren content, yes. But I think that it it was it's maybe smart that they do that so that you're super interested in the content that we do get yes and no um yeah yeah, yes and no because i think this is this is the greater conversation too of what of like the hierarchy of mediums and like should you need this comic to understand how Kylo Ren came to be in the films like are the films the end-all be-all of canon yes and no like I think it's a very complicated conversation and this you know this just depends on what your favorite things in Star Wars are like we say about everything like is it the comics is it the books is it the films but the films make the most money and cost the most money <laughs> out of everything that's made in the Star Wars world, at least as like a single product of a film. Um, and so y- you kind of wonder, I don't know, It's it, I just think the whole thing is kind of strange that this, that Kylo has such an interesting past and is so complicated and, and has so many of these conflicting thoughts in his head. But in the past six years that we've known him, 
this is really the most that we've ever gotten of him talking about that or thinking about that um, explicitly. And I think there are pros and cons to that, like you were talking about, like the whole point of him being, you know, more quiet or more silent, I guess, and seeing him through Ray's perspective a lot of the time, like there's a lot of benefits to that too, but there are also drawbacks to that. And I think hearing, because like even in our other books, like Last Shot and um, Bloodlines and stuff like that, Ben's like Ben's in them, but he's small Mm -hmm. (laughs) or he's off with Luke already. And so I think that for that reason, I'm glad we have this comic because I think even though it's things that weren't necessarily surprising, it was like good to hear characters talk about them. Yeah. The thing is that I will always return to is if anyone is confused about the popularity of Kylo Ren or why we want more stories, I I don't think you can go farther than the easiest answer, which is he's Leia and Han's kid. And I think that it is sort of discussed almost in a meta way about his legacy and who he is. And he's named after Obi-Wan Kenobi in this comic, which I think is so great. Mm-hmm. But there's so much there that is worth exploring that does get explored to a, a really great you know, sense in this comic. I was surprised of some of the things that were said and the conversations that were had about legacy. And these are things that we had we have talked touched upon for years, right, Caitlin, mm-hmm. about what it must be like for him to have these kind of things to come to a place in The Last Jedi where he says, throw it all away, the Sith, the Jedi all those things. I mean, these are things that he's been aware of his entire life because of his own legacy. And I was thrilled that Charles Soule brought that into this this character. And I, from my understanding, this is something, an origin story that Charles really came up with himself. Um, like, oh, it's not just the story group um, that came to Charles with this, like, outline and said, you know, go for this, tell this story. I, I, my understanding was that he pitched the story to Lucasfilm, mm-hmm. which is great because I think that these are things that the fandom has been speculating about for a while, which gets me back to my original point about not being surprised about a lot of the things, because I think that so much of what was discussed in uh, this comic was subtext in the movie and to see it in, in like concrete canon, <laughs> I think was uh, satisfying in a sense that, um, okay, yeah, here's some evidence of why Kylo Ren is like this. What was his relationship really with Snoke? Well, here it is. It's this terrible, abusive, grooming mentality, right, that happened with him. And we have examples of it through uh, Will's art, right? And then also through the sort of um, the dialogue that happens between Snoke and Kylo and then even just the way that in comics, which is, uh, I think, really a great benefit to the medium is being able to see these voices in these, you know, red boxes Mm -hmm. that really give you this sense of, whoa, this voice is in his head and he's in the cockpit with Luke and Lor Santeca. And what was that like as like a nine, ten year old boy? Yeah. And I I do think that there's so much subtext in the movies that give us the benefit of being able to read this comic and be like, oh, okay, that I was picking up on that in the movies. I think that that 
was something that happened and what we had been hearing people like Adam Driver even talk about his character and J.J. Abrams back during the the bonus features of The Force Awakens. These are things that had been part of Kylo Ren's character origin and here they are in illustrated in like perfect form. Yeah, Um, a little bit more explicit. Yeah, exactly. So in that sense, it was so satisfying. And in that sense, I do think that I am the... Uh, the demographic, <laughs> the target audience mm-hmm. for the comic. And um, just to kind of round up my reaction is I enjoyed it. And I think that mm-hmm. it, it it's a nice reference point. And I don't think stories should always just be reference points, but I do think that it was a good ex- exploration of his origins. Yeah, I think I would have to agree. I think, yeah, I think as, you know, he is our favorite character, we're always going to want more from him. And that's just... The, the way, way it is. the cookie crumbles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I'm glad we have it. I, it's an interesting choice to make it like this one event, but still a good one. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'll be buying the the paperback like trade copy. So <laughs> obviously, I liked it. Yeah, I do think that there. We should kind of touch upon the the fact that the title was The Rise of Kylo Ren and then the movie was The Rise of Skywalker. I think that there was so much speculation about that. And then the fact that this came out so close to The Rise of Skywalker as part of the like uh, the lead in uh, to the movie. And I think that there was a lot of speculation about like, OK, it's going to show his falls so that we can see his rise. And that happened in a sense. Right. It's interesting because I think that it would have been nice if this was referenced in the in the film a little bit more, that it was, you know, a, a, more of an essential companion to the movie. I think that would have been a good package. I don't necessarily think it is an essential companion, but I would recommend it to people more interested in the Raylo dynamic, Kylo Ren as a character. It would probably be my number one recommended thing in terms of, like, the next steps for exploring his character. That's interesting. I know. What what else would there be to recommend? That was the whole thing leading up to the Rise of Skywalker. It was like, we're finally going to get Kylo Ren content because they've been holding out on it because we weren't supposed to know like what happens in the end. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we didn't get that. Again, it's just like, this is a really popular character and the the amazing sales of this comic prove that it's like yes we're the demographic but i also think the majority of star wars fans are the demographic yeah. like yeah <laughs> this is not just like you know yeah, Raylo's buying this comic in bulk <laughs> like, i know there were there were many many people that are very interested in this character and you're right like this would be the number one thing to recommend because like we've been saying what what else is there like outside of the films um and so it's it, it is really great that we have this and I'm I'm glad that we do. Yeah. I know. <sighs> okay. Let's move on. Part 2. Welcome to part 2 where we're going to do a little bit dive a little bit more into the specifics of what actually happened in the comic as opposed to just kind of talking around it like we were in the last uh section. So to start us off, um what is but actually, what I want to ask you, Charlotte, is uh, what's the state of the galaxy right now? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't think that there's a lot of context for no, that. No. Besides the fact that Luke has his training temple, we find out that 
Ben is the first of many students, which I think we knew to some extent, and uh, that he is seen at it like it is known that he is Luke's nephew, that he is very powerful, that he has a legacy, all these things I get a sense that are are known mm-hmm. um, throughout a lot of different figures. Seems like Luke is still um searching for for certain artifacts with Lore Santeca and uh in terms of the state of the galaxy, I mean I just don't think that that's really covered that much. Um reading this again now thinking a little bit more about Palpatine and um, Palpatine cloning and creating creating Snoke and this specific Snoke. I, I honestly, I think it's interesting to consider the fact that Palpatine created beings like Snoke and they have become their own force. I got the sense in this in this comic that Snoke, while being an agent of Palpatine, from what I understand in terms of the the Rise of Skywalker um, and how I'm supposed to contextualize the sequel trilogy in terms of canon, I do get the sense sort of that Snoke was his own person, if that makes sense, in this comic. Like when when Ben goes to his like creepy planet after he is, you know, leaves and runs away from the Jedi Temple there's a sense that Snoke also created his, he says, I became Snoke. And there's a sense of invention and invention with that character that I hadn't really expected when I returned to the story for the second time. I didn't really pick up on that before. And I guess just in the months that have followed the rise of Skywalker, it's interesting to potentially consider that there was this, if we were to explore this a little bit more, which I can see this happening in the future, um, if we were to explore this dynamic between Palpatine being dead yet uh, living on through Sith magic, right? If Snoke really did come to power from Palpatine's own creation and was more of a man than, Palp- than Palpatine was at that point, was there this power struggle where Snoke was able to seize control of as supreme leader of the First Order and have this sort of puppet creation, um, this sort of pu- puppet control over the for the first order that palpatine perhaps wanted or i don't know i guess i just in the comic i got this sense that snoke was his own uh evil dark side power separate from palpatine which is not that didn't really change my perception of how i view snoke because i always kind of viewed snoke that way before the rise of skywalker but i guess i just had never really come into a story lately with that idea in mind of was there could there have been a sort of power struggle there um despite their they palpatine and snoke having similar goals of grooming the last skywalker i'm gonna say this now i don't know if i ever want the power struggle comic of palpatine and snoke i mean i think that there are people who are interested in that kind of stuff because we get are (laughs) we get we get those kind of books like uh you know plagueis and things like that i think that those exist I don't I don't think I want those either, but I found myself considering that and thinking about that. And that was a dynamic that I just hadn't thought about before when I read it for the first time. And in terms of you asked me what the state of the galaxy was, I think that that comes to mind just because at this point, Snoke is on the cusp of, I guess, becoming supreme leader or is already supreme leader of whatever armada is amassed for the First Order at this point. 
So one has to wonder how that even came to be. This is something we had been speculating about for years before the rise of Skywalker and the introduction of Palpatine. I think that we had thought about, you know, all of the the frozen um, Star Destroyers and things like that. But so how did one, you know, how did Snoke really rise in that place? And uh, why was he on this random planet? So in terms of the state of the galaxy, that's what I was thinking about, because that's really the only reference point to politics and what is really going on. I really just wanted to ask you that question because I always had to take it when we were talking about <laughs> the animated series, uh, Clone Wars and Resistance. Yeah, as far as Snoke being the puppet, it's strange because I really don't know how to think of it. You know, if it is something like you were saying about if there is this power struggle or Snoke kind of growing on his own, I guess I kind mm-hmm. of see it as like, you know, the myth of like Athena and Zeus and like Athena popping out fully formed from <laughs> Zeus's forehead. <laughs> That's kind of how I see Snoke. I will say that when I read this, I actually had the opposite reaction and read it more of him being a puppet of Palpatine, that everything was coming from Palpatine, that Mm -hmm. it wasn't Snoke. Um, So hearing you talk about it definitely kind of gives me a different perspective on it. I think because like the little... The and this is the benefit of the comic of those like dialogue bubbles that are clearly the dark side talking to baby Ben, little Ben. It's like we're supposed to see that as Snoke, but is it actually like it's actually Palpatine? It's actually Palpatine, yeah. That's what is said in the Rise of Skywalker, yeah, in every voice inside your head. And like the fact that they actually showed Palpatine in a couple of frames too just kind of I don't know it just it made me think that kind of the whole thing like with honestly like with The Last Jedi and everything kind of being a play right in the throne room and the curtain falling down and burning and everything like that that whole metaphor for symbolism uh, and that for me it kind of upped the tragedy in a way which I wasn't really expecting as far as you know Ben really buying into what Snoke was telling him when Snoke isn't even real. Um, mm. Everything that, like, everything that Snoke is kind of expounding on, as far as like, I wasn't born with the name Snoke. Like, I became Snoke, but he's just saying these empty words because he doesn't actually have a past. Mm. But then, like, where did he come from? Like, how? Like you were saying though, like, where did he come from? How did he amass this power? Like uh, there, are, I guess there are other acolytes of Palpatine that are kind of doing the, the nitty gritty of accumulating <laughs> wealth. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then Snoke is just going to appear on the scene. I don't really know. But I think I read it more, at least initially, as that more of that puppet that is really ultimately meaningless in this greater conversation with Palpatine. And it made it, honestly, even more sad of Ben going and like basically hugging this husk of a person that isn't really even real. Oh, it's so gross. But in that, to your point, because I agree with everything you say, in that moment, we are in Ben's point of view. And when Snoke says, I wasn't born Snoke, I became Snoke. And Ben, I think in that moment is like, okay, I was born Ben, but can I be someone else? Mm -hmm. This man is offering me an opportunity to become something else, to get out of the skin that I so desperately want out of. This whole idea of Ben in this, from his point of view, seeing an escape 
I think is really interesting because maybe you're right in that you're supposed to really read it as a as a puppet. I think both my interpretation and your interpretation are uh, like valid um, because I see both of them. Um, I just guess I overthought a little bit of the clone mentality because I think I'm a little in my head about that with the fact that now it is revealed that Ray's father was a Palpatine clone and he forged his own way. So I was thinking a little bit more about how Snoke was potentially forging his own way. And I wonder if there was a story there a little bit, but even just uh, kind of to that vein, like if Snoke really did forge his own path away from like his clone identity, right. Um, He's still offering Ben this opportunity to reinvent. And this whole like reinvention of what you were born as is a really interesting theme that comes up um, in this comic and potentially throughout the sequel trilogy as well, um, despite Ben's arc being more of returning and fulfilling your destiny and your place of things isn't so awful as you thought it was. Yeah, no, I I agree with everything you just said. I think it's interesting that we both had very different interpretations of Same. <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I also think it's weird that we're starting here. <laughs> I wasn't expecting this, but I think that Snoke is a kind of a critical figure in the Rise of Kylo Ren comic that I don't think we can slide over it because he is such a predator in this comic. Yeah. And he is depicted the first time we see him in the comic, he is depicted like let's talk about this a little bit. He's depicted in this like this planet that is almost Eden-like, right? Where it's beautiful, it's otherworldly, but it's also like mechanical so there's this real artificial sense about it all yet Snoke talks about it existing in the shadow and allowing for things to grow and he talks about it in such flowery language and it's just so odd to me that we we start here in this place that you see this guy Snoke with this jaunty hat like how weird is that I just it it's so strange. We feel a certain way and it's not good. <laughs> I know. And it makes you it makes you feel weird. And I, it's supposed to because everything about it is off. We're in this, you know, beautiful place with skeletons growing and flowers growing in the skeletons. And it doesn't it's not cool. It's uncomfortable. It's unsettling. And um, I think that Ben also this is me interpreting what he thinks, but I would assume that he goes there for comfort. Right. To leave a place of uncomfort. And he arrives and he is still unsure, unsteady, and doesn't really know what to do, hence why he goes to find the Knights of Ren to continue his path towards accepting the shadow. And I I just think that the whole idea of being unsettled here is a fascinating place to start with Snoke because I think we're all unsettled by Snoke. Obviously, he's a villain. He's disgusting looking <laughs> and all these things. But this presentation of him with the hat and everything, and like almost this Irish, I don't know, something like so weird about him. Yeah, it's so strange. And it's just bizarre. <laughs> It's not his look. It's not his style. It just – it doesn't work for him. I, I just <laughs> – Right. But the thing is, is that – so if, if Ben grew up with this voice inside of his head, is this the first time he's seeing him? And if not – Well, no, because Ben says, what did – look at what Luke did to you. 
And, and and then you think about like what other forms did he take? It makes me think of rebels, even when Palpatine appeared to Ezra as like this younger form. There's this there's a lot of moments throughout Star Wars where dark side users manipulate their appearance to seem more sympathetic and more um, understanding to the person that they're trying to lure in. And this is just another example of that. Well, makes you wonder what is the true version of Snoke. I mean, what we see it like, did Luke actually do anything to Snoke or was that all fabrication? Because we see clones of mm-hmm. Snoke in the last Je- or in the Rise of Skywalker that look like the Snoke we saw in the other films. Right. So I don't, it's just, but now I'm thinking like, okay, if you were the artist and you had to put a hat on Snoke, I mean, <laughs> What other kind of hat could you do? Like, Newsboy Cap is really the only route you can go. It's true. <laughs> I it's mean, really true. Fedora? No. no. Sun hat? No. Cowboy no. hat? Oh, my God, no. A baseball hat? <laughs> no. Like, I, he was out of options. <laughs> yes. Uh, sorry. Just kind of – I got lost on a train of imagining Snoke in, like, a fedora. <laughs> Yeah, I think the the planet was very unsettling. This whole idea of it being very lush and the flowers and nature you think is very nurturing when that is what Ben is going there for. But he's he's not being nurtured. He's being manipulated. And he does go there on his own. But it's all this culmination of, of everything that's come before. It's like, oh, wow, I haven't talked about this in a long time. That quote in the last Jedi novelization where, it's, where Leia is talking about this, where she lists uh, – Everyone who played a piece in Kylo's fall, and mm-hmm. this is this is part of that too. And what I what I appreciate about the comic is that even though they're just little pieces of dialogue about Ben's past, um, it's clear that that line in the Last Jedi novelization is like it's carried over into this comic too, which mm-hmm. I think is great. I like the imagery of this planet. It was. It was good. I think it did what it needed to do as far as like, I don't know, it it made me kind of think of, you know, like the Garden of Eden and how it was perfect, but you eat from the tree of knowledge and you're cursed. And I think that is kind of like that's, I guess, maybe like a a, a metaphor that's kind of stretching a little bit as far as. No, I don't think it is at all. I really don't at all. I think it's exactly what you're supposed to think about. In that you're you're sort of tempted by this beautiful location, and then you get drawn in by its mysterious flora and fauna. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a also like the a Venus flytrap. Like mm-hmm. you're drawn in by the sweetness, and that's what predators do. They mask themselves as kind people, as mm-hmm. good people, as someone here to help you. When really you're just walking into the trap, and that's what. That's what Ben does because he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. And it just it makes the story so sad. I think that it's this the comic is outwardly sad to me, but it's also kind of super understated in a lot of ways. I think that everything with Snoke is um, pretty explicit to me. Um, but a lot of the the sort of isolation, the betrayal, the um, un- in kind of insecurity that Ben has throughout his entire life is understatedly sad to me. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, I think that Charles Soule um, succeeds in making him relatable 
in this sense. I think that it's hard in a way to relate to a hero who has all of this on his shoulders, who is like descendant of legends. I don't think any of us really are, but at the end of the day, you're able to relate to someone who doesn't understand their place in the great order of things. And yet they, you know, they, they, they're, they're thrust into the fact that they have this um, special power or everyone tells you that you're, you have the special power and you don't know what to do with it because you're being torn. And I think, you know, Ben even says, like you mentioned this before, he was born being, uh, I don't have the quote in front of me, but with both like a fight of the light side and the dark side. And I think that's so fascinating because at the end of the day, don't we all have a fight of the light and the dark side? That's a daily stress, a daily struggle that so many of us have to walk of, good choices, bad choices. If Star Wars is all about choices, man, is this comic just really hammering that into your head? You know, with the conversation with Ty, I think that if we wanted to examine the friends, which we will in a second, um, I think that it's so, so interesting that we have maybe the most explicit uh, saying of what a choice is within Star Wars and the Star Wars mythology with Kylo's response back to Ty when they're basically arguing and Ty saying that, you know, you, every path has two directions. And um, Kylo says, choice, I have no choice and I never did. Even my name isn't a choice. The dark side and light, light both claim me for their own the moment I was born. Do you know how that feels? Whether it's Luke Skywalker or Snoke, neither one sees me as a person. I'm just a legacy, just a set of expectations. At the end of the day, I think we can all relate to being just a set of expectations, whether those are personal expectations or external expectations. And I I just found that deeply relatable and just really good writing, honestly. I think so, too. And this goes back – like this whole quote is something – I was like, wow, I almost wish we had been following the comic through Kyla's point of view of him – working through this little paragraph here <laughs> because the fact that that Snoke is included in that is like neither one sees me as a person Snoke or Luke Skywalker again like this this quote is just uh showing that Ben is is in a way aware of all of these forces no pun intended on him and you can almost see him working through like I have to admit, like for him, I think it's like the lesser of two evils in a weird way. And I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but he knows. I feel like there's almost like more that happens after this. I, I guess there has to be or, or rather the events at the end of the comic really kind of change everything for Kylo. Because in this quote, it kind of makes you feel like he's aware that both Luke and Snoke are using him. And I don't know if I would agree that Luke is using Kylo, but that's his, like he's aware that Snoke is using him or doesn't see him as a person, sees him as a legacy, expectations, yada, yada, yada. But by the time we're with him in The Force Awakens, we have Han telling uh, Kylo, you know, um, he's just using you. As soon as he gets what he wants, he'll get rid of you. And it doesn't really feel like Kylo believes that at the time or he I think he does I don't know I think it's really complicated and I would have loved more of a breakdown or just a journey with Kylo to this point because it's it puts his awareness in a different place or rather it puts his awareness about Snoke and what he's doing a little earlier in the timeline than I think 
I anticipated. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I'm not really describing it very well, but I, th- I really loved this quote and this whole conversation. And I loved what, what Ty says after that, where he says, there's hope, there's always hope. You can start from wherever you are. No path is forever. You could spend the rest of your life helping people, trying to bring more people to the more light to the galaxy, and it would all matter. Those people would still be helped. We could team up right now and destroy the Knights of Ren and save this place. I think that's so important. Like that's in the whole conversation of redemption within Star Wars, this mythology, this larger than life story this idea that you can start from wherever you are no path is forever that yes those bad things that you've done existed in the past and you can't get rid of them but that doesn't mean that all the good things you do in the future can't also be good and Mm -hmm. there there are people that will still benefit from that and yes people have been hurt in the past and you can't change that but there's still like a whole future ahead of you a whole path ahead of you where there are people that would still be helped and that is good and i was just like wow i like we all need a tie in our lives <laughs> yeah just like he seems like a really sound <laughs> advice yes, giver absolutely and i i would say that ty is really similar to ray yeah you can just imagine ray saying this and i think that ty is kind of supposed to represent this voice of reason in the same way that ray does to ben this sort of like knock some sense into you um, kind of personality. Uh, I just wanted to say to your point about not under like not really seeing how Ben could think that uh, be- that Luke doesn't see him as a person. Like the quote says, whether it's Luke Skywalker or Snoke, neither one sees me as a person. I would say just a reminder that it's o- like only hours before did Ben wake up to Luke mm. standing over him with a lightsaber. And his point of view is that Luke did not see him as a person, but the, an enemy um, yeah. and someone who needs to be extinguished at that moment. And I, it's like hard to revisit, I think, because I think it is such a it's a dark point in in Luke's um, story, which is why he banishes himself to the island and everything. I think that we can all understand where he comes from 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 that, uh, you know, depression, depressive mindset. Right. But um destructive mindset yeah destructive yes and i would say that it's interesting to view them both as equal like in in ben's mind he says neither one sees me as a person and i think that the rest of ben's story is you're right that it does sort of restructure the timeline (laughs) of how long ben's been aware of this presence in his mind and I don't think that he's a stupid kid, right? Like, I don't think he's a stupid teenager or 20-year-old or however old he's supposed to be in this comic. Like, I think that he does recognize he has a voice inside of his head. But like some people who have imaginary friends, it's like your friend. And maybe he liked how it felt like when he could tap into the dark side or something, you know? Mm -hmm. And all these things are stories that would be amazing to explore because I know that I would love to get some exploration of Ben becoming aware of this and being like knowing that he can't really tell anyone like that's definitely a choice that was made right that he didn't tell his mom he didn't tell luke about the voices in his head luke had to discover that for himself you know and that's when he looked inside of his mind and it was worse than he even thought like maybe he had a suspicion but ben clearly didn't come out and say it well you know? i see i kind of think ben did when he was really young and mm. the response that he got from that made him kind of shrink even deeper into himself 
and mm. those voices become louder. So I think Luke, I think Luke and Leia have been aware of this for a while, but I think it's that thing where it's like, if none of us talk about it, it doesn't exist. Yeah, I guess I guess you're right. Then in the the comment that Leia makes in The Force Awakens of like no Snoke, he seduced our son to the dark side. Like I guess that she did know, especially since it was was like I think that happened when Ben was still in the womb, right? <laughs> like yeah. she she must have been aware. So I, I don't know. I guess there's just there's clearly so many stories to be explored with that. But yeah, you're right in the fact that it like completely kind of restructures this like awareness of Snoke's own manipulation and makes me think a little bit differently about the throne room scene in The Last Jedi in like the whole like breaking of the chain from Ben and Snoke and choosing Rey you know and realizing that there's like another way out because I think in this point in his life he's like okay so Luke rejected me uh doesn't want anything to do with me and I I don't know what happened with the temple, but I can't stay here because hundreds of students around me are, are dead and it looks bad, I guess, is what you can you can <laughs> get from the comic. Right. Yeah. So I'm off to like the only friend that I've known for a while who says that he'll help me and like maybe it's dangerous, but I don't know what else yeah. to do. And then Ray comes into the picture. Right. And, you know, the soulmate of it all. And there's there's a there's a different the path. dyad of it all. The, yeah, the dyad <laughs> of it all. Like there's there's a different path, and that's that's the the way forward, you know. And um, I choose to believe that that scene in the Last Jedi is definitely not a selfish intent. I think that what was happening there, I think it turned selfish when uh, Ben was still like, we can burn it all down and rule together in this powerful situation. But I I do think that it was like, okay, so here's a different path forward. A misunderstood path, but a definitely a different path forward. Well, I think, you know, when we're talking about getting in the head of Kylo Ren in this comic, I think this parallels so well to Anakin and Revenge of the Sith, honestly. Like the why did Kylo do what he did, um, the choices that he made in this comic, I think we see it's what we've talked about with Anakin before of like there's no going back um and no one no one would believe me it's like just this building snowball of bad <laughs> in mm-hmm. your head you know like Anakin kills Mace uh, or basically leads to the, his actions lead to Mace's death at the hands of Palpatine and he says afterwards like what have I done mm-hmm. um even though like he wasn't the one to actually kill mace it was palpatine but he caused it and i think we have that exact same kind of scene with kylo in this comic when he's looking at the temple like oh my god like i didn't want any of this yeah like what have i done but Mm -hmm. he the thing is it's like with kylo kylo doesn't actually even know what he's done um because like we talked about like it's still not clear if he caused the temple to go up in flames he definitely brought the temple down or the i guess the hut down that he was in with luke like that definitely happened but that didn't actually kill luke obviously and so he's just looking at the tumble like what have i done and then like anakin being christened darth vader by palpatine anakin sees no other choice out at that time at that moment and it's like the thing that i want is to say padme and i guess I guess this is the only way to do it now because I just killed a Jedi master on the mm-hmm. council. Like there, there is no other option for me here. And I think Kylo being younger 
is in a similar position where he's like, I kill, I just killed my uncle. I just killed Luke. I can't go home. <laughs> I can't go mm-hmm. home and tell my mother that, you know? And, um, and so he goes to the only person that can offer any kind of solace, even though it's not the right option. And I think Anakin realizes that in Revenge of the Sith, but still goes forward with it. And I think Kylo, it sounds like, knows this too, but there isn't another option. He doesn't see one. And Padme gives Anakin another option. So does Obi-Wan. Kylo's friends give him another option in this. And they're just so lost in the idea. Like like what Ty is saying here, like there's another path. Like you can go forward. More people will be helped. We can do this. And Kylo's like, no, like it's too late. It's too late. I can't. Because he still thinks that Luke is dead. He, the other, I'm sorry, the other friend whose name I'm blanking on is dead. And it's like they're, they're, you can't do anything else. He's like, no, no one would want me. I can't go back. Like, no one would forgive me. Even though Ty is standing there in front of him saying, I will forgive you. And it's what Padme and Obi-Wan are doing too in Revenge of the Sith. And it's mm-hmm. strange thinking that that whole, these very parallel scenes, like that's an entire movie with Anakin. <laughs> and this is for issues of a comic. Really well done. But then at the same time, it's like, the sequel trilogy is not about Kylo's fall. It's about his rise. It's about his redemption. Mm-hmm. Whereas even though we have six films with Anakin, like the crux of Anakin's story, of the Skywalker story, is his fall. So like for that to get the whole film makes sense because we spend less time with him redeemed. Um, mm-hmm. And like that, like that's more Luke's story at that point. Whereas for Kylo, it's a little different. So like I don't think we should have had a movie of the fall of Kylo Ren um, right. like with Anakin. But I think they're incredibly similar. Well, I think they're both tragedies, and I think they can both be seen almost in this Greek tragic way. But I think really a main difference between comparing Anakin's fall and Ben's fall, and I was trying to think about this because they do, in a way, yes, they feel similar because they do have similar beats because this is Star Wars and things rhyme. But I think that Ben's fall is more of a misunderstanding than Anakin's ever was. I think Anakin's Mm -hmm. was more of a communication problem, like if only people were talking to each other. But Ben's, to me, feels like a misunderstanding. And yes, it is a communication problem because, again, if only people were talking to each other and they could straighten this out. But I think that the way things sequentially happened, um, it's all just a misunderstanding. You know, (laughs) it's all things could have changed um, if you know, someone believed him, right? And that's that's the thing that's kind of really heartbreaking about especially this first issue. Uh, his friends, one of, the, one of them says, it can't be as bad as what you're saying. And I remember reading that and being like, oh my God, that is the worst. Like no one believes him that Luke stood over him with a lightsaber. Like that's a fact that happened in the story that the point of The Last Jedi was to show these different point of views and each of them valid. But at the end of the day, Kylo uh, Ben felt threatened by his uncle, felt unheard by his uncle, and felt threatened in his own space. So the fact that his friends were saying, you know, it can't be as bad as you're saying, you're overreacting, essentially, is honestly kind of like you're crazy. Yeah. It's kind of a modern reaction to certain bad situations. And it's it's kind of a gaslighting 
uh, situation. To me, I think this is the the clearest indicator that it's different from Anakin's fall because I think that, yes, Anakin was misunderstood. He tried to seek help with Yoda about his dreams, but at the end of the day, he was not completely honest with what was happening. The fact that his wife was dying in his dreams, that his wife was pregnant, all these things, right? He was mm-hmm. not honest about any of that. But here we have Ben being like, this is what happened and no one is believing me, you know? Yeah. And I I think that here we have the making of a modern villain who doesn't feel believed. And I think this feels like a story of our times. And it's just, a, it's very different to me. Um, while these two characters are extremely similar and I love to trace the, the mirroring of these two falls and these two redemptions, I still think that the difference here is one is a lack of communication and one is a complete miscommunication. The realities that they've lived through are completely different. Anakin being taken from his mother in slavery, grew up in a war, but a hero, regarded as a hero. Mm-hmm. And Anakin isn't aware of Palpatine and his darkness. I don't think like in the Clone Wars, we hear a lot about other characters talking about how they're worried about Anakin and his inability to let go and, you know, the dark side clouding things and even this kind of darkness in Anakin. And we see these moments, but we don't really see Anakin showing a lot of awareness of it himself. Whereas Kylo is very different in, you know, growing up with both of his parents, but from his perspective, not really growing up with his parents um, in a changing government. And he knows that there's darkness within him. And it's something he feels ashamed of, I think, or or maybe is told he should feel ashamed of. I don't know. I think that they have very different they – f- they feel – their ages feel very different, even though they're not, um, like you pointed out. You know, like Anakin is married with a baby on the way (laughs) and Ben is, you know, working on his calligraphy. (laughs) Like he just feel very like Ben reads much younger in his fall, like much younger in his fall than Anakin does in his. And maybe that's just like my own bias in the story. But I mean, you're right. They're not actually that much of a big age difference between them. I think, honestly, you're supposed to read Ben as younger, but they're not. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that, like, one isn't more mature because one had to grow up in the middle of a war versus the other had to be, you know, grow up by being sent away to, like, essentially what is a boarding school with your uncle, you know? Yeah. Like, there's a difference between growing up in a war and not. (laughs) Yeah. So, while Anakin isn't, like, the most mature person ever, but he still is... At a different stage of his life, I guess. It's kind of weird to talk about it like this. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But yeah, I mean, thinking about just comparing the two of them. And that's like, that's the tragedy too of of both of them is that neither one of them really got to live out any of their prime years (laughs) as like fully themselves. Like even though Anakin is the hero with no fear on the cloners and like everything is great, it's not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like his, his... romance his marriage is still a secret that's obviously a big burden for him it's a war even though like Anakin kind of thrives in that environment it's still not great and he's still he would still want the war to be over obviously and uh and then he lives you know the majority of his life as Darth Vader and 
both of them live more of their life as a dark sider than a light sider. Although I guess for Ben, it's not, it's like more 50, 50, but still it's like he died when he was around 30. Uh, even though he was redeemed, he didn't get to, he didn't like, he doesn't get to do what Ty is saying here. Like you can start from wherever you are. No path is forever. You can spend the rest of your life helping people trying to bring more light to the galaxy and it would all matter. Those people would still be helped. Kylo doesn't get to do that. Um, when he when he is redeemed and even though he ultimately makes the sacrifice with ray which is you know obviously i'm here for ray living (laughs) and Mm -hmm. i'm glad he had that sacrifice or i'm glad he was willing to do that it's still i don't know it's like i think ty's words here are so beautiful and so true about like this theme of redemption in star wars which we haven't gotten to see because our villains who have been redeemed except for um palace <laughs> I literally thought of hot callus that was how i remembered his name <laughs> except for hot callus like we haven't been able to see our redeemed villains do this really um i think we get that with ventress uh some but I know, just say it continues to make Star Wars more tragedy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> sorry to talk- sorry to bring the tone down. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about what each of his friends represent. Um, I think you had some good notes about this. Yeah, so I, I really liked his friends. We talk a lot about things coming in threes in stories like this and how, you know, the number three is obviously a significant number and he has his three friends. Um, I don't know why I didn't write down all of their names. Ty, Vo, and... I think it's Helix. Oh, no, it's Henix. It's Henix. Thank you. yeah. Sorry, I don't know why I didn't write them all down. But, you know, Vo is kind of the brawn. She wants to be the best Jedi out there. She constantly, I think Kylo says she views the Force as a contest. And even Kylo knows that you're not really supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then we have Henix, who is the brains. We see him trying to unlock holocrons. And, like, Kylo says he really likes puzzles. And then there's Ty, who... Kylo, when he, you know, when he's describing his friends to the Knights of Ren, uh, he doesn't really have a lot of adjectives for Ty, but that kind of speaks volumes about how important Ty is to him. And, you know, you kind of see it's like Vo is the brawn, Henix is the, is the brains, and then Ty is the heart. And I thought it was an interesting choice, a good choice, but it was one that surprised me of Ty not being the last one to die in this comic. You would kind of see that, like, Henix would die first and then Vo and then Ty is the last one of like kind of the nail in the coffin in Ben's transformation into Kylo. Like you kill the heart basically that Ty, you know, kind of represents the like Kylo's conscious, um, the good angel on his shoulder telling him, like giving him a way out, offering him his hand to like pull him out of this darkness and Ben is rejecting it. I'm kind of surprised, like I said, like I was saying, I'm kind of surprised that Ty wasn't the last one of the three friends killed, which I think is good because Kylo doesn't kill the heart friend, the, the friend who symbolizes the heart, um, which is very telling. It's the Knight of Ren that kills him. It's not actually Kylo because that conflict continues to live in Kylo. That consciousness is still in him, even though he continues to try and squash it down. And of course, the darkness builds in Kylo and he kills the Knight of Run who killed Ty. And then he very quickly kills Vo, which was really shocking at the end, which is how easy it was for him to kill her. But after he killed the Knight of Ren, 
again, it's like this, there's no way out. Like the only person, like Ty is gone. Luke is gone. I can't go back home. What, like, this is the path I'm on now. This path, there isn't another direction. So I, I liked his friends. I thought, especially like with his first friend, Hennix, how it was also kind of murky how he died. Like Kylo was trying to save Vo, who had fallen off the cliff, but then Hennix was coming after him. And like, it just like, it's these complications, like you're talking about, like misunderstandings and miscommunication, like in them not initially believing Kylo. And, and like, I'm not defending Kylo's actions here, Ben's actions, um, but it is just nothing is straightforward in these things like would things have been different if they had all believed him in the beginning if Vo hadn't been so insistent that he was wrong about what had happened with Luke what what would have happened yeah I mean it's it's tragic to think like that because you know that I think things would be completely different if his friends believed him because then they would be able to somehow rebuild the fiery remains of the temple you know before and maybe find Luke, who had, at that point had been cut off from the force. It's a little unclear. There's a lot of questions about the whole temple thing, you yeah. know. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about the Knights of Ren because I think we're kind of edging up on that. Um, because I think the whole idea of at the end Kylo killing Ren and then taking his helmet, I really liked this because. I think it fit perfectly with the movies. It is, you know, a great symbolic notion that you like have to wear the helmet, but kill the leader to become the leader. This whole thing, I think it's very, it's very easy to understand. It's a, um, it was his way, I think, to embrace the shadow, which was a big theme throughout this entire comic that I really appreciated this, this discussion of the shadow, which I think we talk a lot about the dark side and Star Wars refers to that in that terminology the dark side but it's not so often referred to as the shadow and i think that when we talk about psychological principles and mythology we do sometimes talk about the shadow but it was good to see it here um because the knights of ren aren't like super they're not dark side they're a different type of being so it makes sense that these are people who would embrace a different terminology than the dark side but embrace the shadow instead and i think it also gives a little bit of a difference to the way that we understand kylo ren as a dark side user we've always thought about him as a different type of dark side user he's always on the outs you know with right from the jagged lightsaber mm -hmm. to you know all, there was a lot of stuff that kind of came out with Kylo Ren that was like, he's not on the like he's on the dark side, but he's not a Sith. All these kind of kind of things, right? It was they were very distinct to not say that Kylo was a Sith. Um, I think a lot of that was kind of muddled in the Rise of Skywalker, but in this story specifically, his alignment with the Knights of Ren. Um, I was surprised when I was reading this because I found the Knights of Ren depicted more like a gang. And a gang who was interested in just doing dark stuff. <laughs> <laughs> then also when he, when the main guy, Ren, Ren I forget what his name is, uh, when he takes off his helmet and he's like this really attractive guy, I was like, <laughs> what is going on here? And I think it all, to me, I think it makes sense. Like there's a lot of like undertones that were happening. Um, 
but I did appreciate the the terminology of like embracing your shadow, embracing this part of yourself that you're only denying. And even his friends were talking about like he casts a really long shadow um, before we even meet the Knights of Ren. And all of this, this sort of um, language, I think, is it's 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 interesting because like I think that we can view maybe this is just my brain and I'm sorry if this doesn't make sense, but I, I think you can view like the the version of quote the shadow as like jv you know uh dark side and like not fully tapping into it but like understanding that as part of yourself and i think this is something that we get to when we talk a lot about like the duality uh and like the balance and everything and when we when we've talked about the balance and when been like questioning what is a, the balance of the force even look like it's it's always been well, one cannot exist without the other. One cannot deny that this is part of yourself, that you have dark side tendencies, that you do have, uh, that you make wrong choices and that you can correct them, that light and dark both exist inside of yourself, this whole yin and yang. So to have Kylo embrace the shadow, I think it's, I don't think it muddles the story, but it did have me at some point like, well, it's interesting. I think I just had a different interpretation of the use of shadow in this comic like i think correct me if i'm wrong it's like you're kind of looking at it as how we talk about shadow as far as like the here like the hero's journey and, and even like with the yoda arc him facing yeah. the actual shadow where and like embracing it whereas i basically i interpreted it in this comic as just a synonym for the dark side of the mm. force like they don't they don't call it the dark side of the forest. They call it the shadow. Right. Um, and it's the same thing because they're force users. We see them using the force in the beginning. And it really – I thought it, I thought they were very interesting, the fact that they seemed strong in the force and because they are able – like like you said, when they, when they see Kylo for the first time and they're like, you belong with us. You cast a long shadow. And like they're able to sense that in him – immediately when they meet him I think was really interesting this really kind of reminded me of like how there are so many different types of force users throughout the galaxy and like we bring up often with like the mortis gods like there are different names for the mortis gods in different parts of the galaxy so it stands to reason that there be different names for the force itself in different parts of the galaxy and mm -hmm. I, you know, whatever I think the, the intention was by Charles Sewell of what, you know, is shadow about embracing the shadow in yourself or, or is it just a synonym for the dark side? I think both are good interpretations. But overall, I'm glad that we got to see this other kind of dark side users like like gang <laughs> um, mm -hmm. who are able to use the force. I think the more we see of these different kinds of groups that use the force in a different way, call it a different thing, have different kind of morality structures around the force, the better, I think. Um, I think the Night Sisters are really kind of the only quote-unquote dark side comparable group we've seen to the Knights of Ren. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but in, even then the Night Sisters were more like magic, which I think is mm – -hmm. I think it, it's I think it's different from the force. Um, I think that's up for interpretation and discussion, but – Right now, in 2020, <laughs> July 2020, I see it as kind of magic and different from uh, the Force itself or perhaps a perversion or uh, a manipulation of the Force to be something different than, than how we know it with the Jedi and the Sith. 
And, you know, with the Jedi, with the light side of the Sith, we've seen things, you know, like the Bendu, the the Purgles have some something going on with them, the Loath Wolves, um, the I'm forgetting. I mean, every every being in the galaxy has some sort of midi chlorians, have some sort of force, yeah. has some sort of pull to this balance, right? Yeah. So exactly. it's it's interesting to see another form. Mm-hmm. Um and you have Luke in this comic saying, you know, I, I sense the dark, the dark side is here. Like you, it surrounds you, I think is what he says. Um, so you're right in that. I, I guess I'm just kind of in my head a little bit. To your comment about the Night Sisters, I will push back against that because we have now this new terminology of Sith magic. Um, so magic isn't just the Night Sisters. But visually, so visually they've got the green magic. Yeah. Whatever yeah. that is. But then, like, Palpatine has, like, his blue magic. Blue magic. <laughs> what goes into a bird bath for a ritual blood sacrifice? <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I really like this. I mean, this, having the Knights of Ren and having more background of them, this is, I found this really interesting, like, like, how they were talking about the shadow, what they're able to do. The fact that they are kind of this bounty hunter gang it, it kind of seemed like why are they at the temple what do they want with this stuff it kind of seemed like you could hire them they're recruiting people like what for <laughs> and the fact that there has to be a good death in order for someone to be recruited or to join their group where do they get the helmets the fact that he left his helmet in that temple for so many years you know like <laughs> what's, what's going on here i think that this Honestly, this kind of brings me back to the Rise of Skywalker and the fact that, you know, ending it with like, I'm all the Jedi and all of the Sith and and all of that, it, it like narrows the use of the Force once again, when I think there's so much in canon that has made it very clear that the Jedi and the Sith are just one way that the Force has been used throughout the galaxy. And, the, and they're just the story that we've spent the most time with. But there are so many other... Um, like splinter groups, whether it be dark side or light side or something like the Bendu or like there's so much more going on, like the planet with Mortis that we don't understand and or just haven't seen yet. And so I was really glad that the Knights of Ren were explored in this comic. And that's never a sentence I thought I would ever say <laughs> about no. the Knights of Ren. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm really glad to hear that. <laughs> I know. I know. I still like I still could leave them in all of the sequel trilogy and it would be okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, isn't it nice that you got a story that you like found some value out of? Like that's yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And I do like I do want to know more about them. Like I think I the ritualistic death thing I think is so dark <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, not I wanna know more about that, what goes into that. Like well, I said, the whole the whole concept of a good death, I think, is yes. fascinating. Yeah, because I think yes. what Kylo is after in the Force Awakens is a good death. The reason why he wanted to kill Han Solo is he thinks that it's a good death. That he thinks it's a worthy death, something that will push him closer, and inevitably it doesn't. So, is everything a lie? But but then or isn't th- him killing the Knight of Ren? He was like, you want a good death? Here's your good death. And he mm-hmm. kills him. And now he's master of the Knights of Ren. So mm-hmm. was that the good death? But not really because he didn't kill the heart. It's But right. then in The Force Awakens, he does kill the heart. He kills his dad. 
but it's, well, Kylo's, you know, nothing but a child in the in a mask. You know, I think that it's it's never a hundred percent. It's never all the way. The only thing that's really interesting to me about this comic, in terms of Kylo on the dark side, like yes, he killed uh, he killed Vo, which is like not great, and that was definitely the end point. There, you're mm-hmm. like, okay, this is where everything Less changes. Yeah. yeah, and I think that we needed to have a moment like that, right? But um, what was really surprising to me is when he bleeds the lightsaber, which yeah. the lightsaber crystal, which I think we were all knew that that was coming. It's a pretty emotionally, it feels like a heavy moment in the comic. But his his eyes turn yellow. And this is something that we've never seen before with Kylo, especially as I mentioned before, they're very careful to like not refer to Kylo as a Sith because he just hasn't really touched that before. But I think with the lore that we have around ble- breeding bleeding crystals is that you have to be you have to go to the darkest place within you and he did you know he sees all these the members of his family his friends and by seeing those yellow eyes we understand that he did that but it also he didn't do it enough because that crystal is manipulated and you're right it's because he didn't kill the heart and he wasn't able to do that and i think again this is something that we speculated about for a while that that jagged crystal that he has that he manipulated that he changed that he bled um wasn't adequate for a a red saber crystal it's he wasn't able to pour enough into it perhaps those yellow eyes were only momentary or or secondary you know mm-hmm. and he wasn't able to really give it his all because he didn't kill the heart. And I, I think that there's a lot of layers in the story about that, about the fact that I don't know if Kylo, I don't walk away from this being like Kylo can't come back from this. Like he did his deeds. And of course, like I have in the back of my mind, the fact that he was redeemed, but I still don't feel like, wow, what an evil guy like i don't know i think that it's we we see his torment we see his um conflicting emotions and all these things yeah and and adam has talked about i think i think it was in the rise of skywalker interview in the documentary where he said you know or maybe it was one of the articles that came out anyway it doesn't matter um where he said like he's always tried to humanize ben and that has always been at the forefront of any performance that he's given of Kylo Ren or Ben Solo. And I know for us, that's very clear in the films. And it this just kind of adds to it. It would be interesting to hear someone's perspective who didn't... Like, I, I almost kind of wonder if this... Like, if this should have all come out before The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Or, or it would have been cool if it had all come out before The Rise of Skywalker and to talk to someone that, you know, wasn't – didn't think that Kylo was going to be redeemed in Episode Nine, if this would have changed their opinion on it. Because like we said, like, it, this is all kind of stuff that we've thought could have happened for him and, and how we've interpreted the character's motivation. So that – like – of course, we're going to have empathy <laughs> for him mm-hmm. in this. But this, this is what we've been talking about this whole time of, like, who is this for? And it's for everyone. But, would like, would this have changed someone's opinion who, you know, who didn't think that, that Kylo needed redemption or was going to get it? I don't know. Yeah. I, well, I always wonder if, like, during Return of the Jedi time, if people were, like, 
Anakin didn't deserve redemption. And I, I guess that's hotly debated now. So <laughs> maybe <laughs> they did. I, <laughs> and I, then we get, you know, three whole movies depicting his his, his fall. fall to the dark side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I wonder. I think it would have been hard to be like pro-redemption for Vader you know just existing in the original trilogy timeline because we don't know him but that's what makes the story so great and that's why it is so impactful yeah exactly we just see this this um costumed monster and we don't have any sort of way to humanize him until he we have a relation with his son you know mm-hmm. yeah and that's what makes it so but it's just so different when we have a a character who's acted by Adam Driver like it's it's just different <laughs> it really is and yeah. the the unmasking is just different and this is stuff that we've talked about so I don't want to be repetitive but yeah definitely. I I will say I wanted to ask this what do we think about the concept of destiny in this comic because I don't get a huge sense that it's hanging over the entire comic, but there is a part of me that wants to discuss destiny with the idea of like the Jedi Temple blowing up and that being like unexplained and creating chaos and whether or not things like the dominoes had to fall in order for things to happen. And like, do we get a sense that 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 it needed to happen this way in the same way that I don't know when I watch Revenge of the Sith, I get a sense that like everything was in place and the dominoes are falling in the right right direction in order for the rise of the empire to happen. But I don't necessarily get the sense like that here. And I was wondering what you thought about that. I think it feels more. I think I think that Palpatine slash Snoke blew up the temple. Yeah, I think that's where I stand on that now. Um So in that way, it does kind of feel a little bit like Revenge of the Sith, except like this feels more like on the fly of manipulation, whereas everything that happens in the second trilogy has been long planned by Palpatine. Like Mm -hmm. there is not a pawn on his chessboard that is moving without him knowing where they're going to move to. And this one feels a little bit more chaotic, like you were saying. So I think that... I think there is this element of destiny, but it's, I think, like, the awareness of of Ben, of what's going on around him, or rather, like, his comments about Luke and Snoke, but then also everything is happening so fast in that night, you know, waking up with Luke, smashing the hut, waking up and not knowing what happened, seeing it blow up, running. I mean, we haven't even talked about how he run, He tries to run into the temple when he sees it on fire and it's clearly distraught about who is inside and it's blown back, you know, and then knowing that all those people are dead and like, oh my God, did I do that? And then having his friends show up and they're like, what did you do? <laughs> I don't know. So it does – it feels it feels faster in a weird way than than Anakin's fall, which Anakin's fall it does seem more predestined. But I don't I don't know if the I don't know if the comic could ever have that same kind of heavy tone of destiny and like sad fate that the prequel trilogy does, just mm. because it is it is shorter form. Yeah. I don't know. The only reason why I bring this up is because in the What the Force interview with Charles Soule, I got the sense when he was talking about the cosmic force, and just to summarize it, he was talking a lot about the cosmic force and how, 
you know, I think he believes that there's a, a like a will involved with the cosmic force, and he co- sort of leaned the the not super generous way about the force, almost the force is cruel sensibility. And I will say that if we do think that the the explosion of the temple was caused by Snoke or or Palpatine. Whether or not there's an, like, I think that, yes, that's a theory, but, like, could it also be this overarching cosmic force who sees that the only way in the end to bring Ben back from, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting at, but, like, do you think that, like. Yeah, that, like, the force did it, like, allowed it. Yeah. I, yeah, in a, in a lightning sense, in the same way that you know Yoda, you know, blew up the the tree in the Last Jedi with the Force. It's all these things that I, I are should be kind of explored in this thought, since we just don't have the answers. Like, is it possible that the Force felt that you know things were already in motion, and that what needed to happen in the sequel trilogy that would follow this comic? needed to happen because that is destiny and the only way for the force awakened to awaken in ray is for these certain events to happen because of the dire nature of ben and ray and all of these things and i just i ask that just because i am trying like I, maybe we should separate author from work but uh, understanding yeah. where charles soul comes from and if he talked like that about the cosmic force versus the living force like, does the cosmic force have an influence over this? It's just, we don't have the answers here because we're not going to because it is unanswered. But I think it maybe is something that we should consider because it's it's odd, I, yes, but perhaps it is true. Yeah, that's hilarious, the separation of author and work um, currently, that discussion currently. <laughs> but yeah, I can't say that I really agree with with Charles on how he views the force. I actually, I have, um, I took some notes when I was listening to that interview and this was kind of the thing that stood out the most to me of what he was talking about. He does kind of view the force in a very negative light, which is really interesting. At one point he says that, uh, the Skywalkers are instruments of destiny and they suffer for it, which by the end of the rise of Skywalker, I suppose that's true. But mm-hmm. I think you and I are of the opinion that that's not how it actually should be and that yeah. everything else in Star Wars has kind of led us to not think of that. Um, he also said at one point in the interview that if the Force taps you on the shoulder directly, you should turn the other way mm-hmm. and that the Force doesn't really care about Luke Skywalker. It cares about how Luke's sacrifices can help thousands of other people. And I I definitely disagree with that interpretation of the force. I I don't think and like in this in this conversation about what happens that night at the temple, I think it is important to talk about how Charles sees the force, but it's weird because I kind of fundamentally disagree with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, especially that line of like the force doesn't actually care about Luke Skywalker, it cares about how Luke will help other people when One, I don't think that's true. And number two, I don't think that's the point of the story. I think that the point of the story is not that the Force cares about all of these people, like the galaxy. It's that Luke cares about them and that Mm -hmm. Luke is willing to do that. Like, that's what makes him a hero. It's not because the Force is just kind of puppeteering what Luke is doing. So I kind of – I – 
I don't like that interpretation <laughs> of the force, just to kind of put it bluntly. Like I think this, and it's so complicated too. Like the, we, I mean, God, our episode of Weird Force Stuff where we tried to break down the living and cosmic force, it was like, oh, my brain hurts. <laughs> and I think it's hard to do. And I, I'm glad that it was left ambiguous in Charles's comic, especially because I don't agree with how he views the force. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that like, I think that George Lucas intends for the force to bring hope. And so to say that like you should turn the other way when the force taps you on the shoulder, I think is uh, the antithesis of that. And um, like these things have to be working together. Like you can be called by destiny and there is that burden that comes with that. And there is sacrifice that comes with that, but there's always a choice. And it's weird because that element of choice is frequently brought up in this comic. Um, Mm -hmm. And like, if you choose to follow the will of the force, that shouldn't mean that you're subject to its will and its will alone. It should mean that you're journeying with the force towards a greater goal. And with the Jedi, like, that goal was protecting and helping those in need. Like, it became something different, but, like, that's what it is at its core. And I think that's what Luke figured out, and that was, like, part of his hero's journey. And I think part of Rey's journey was, like, learning to listen to the Force herself. So I I don't think that it was – I would never want to interpret the destruction of the temple as – the cosmic force saying that in order for Rey, like in order for the end of the rise of Skywalker to happen, which is ultimately like end game for the Skywalker saga, this temple has to blow up. And so the mm-hmm. cosmic force blew up the temple in order to like make Kylo kill these people and suffer. I, mm-hmm. I don't agree with that interpretation. Um, but I guess maybe Charles does. And that's what he intended. I think that the force, I think the cosmic force allowed Palpatine to rise to power and Palpatine or Snoke, whoever made that choice to blow up the temple. Yeah. I just think it's really complicated. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you, I'm, you can be totally, those of you listening can totally disagree with me, but I, I definitely don't think that the idea that if the force taps you on the shoulder, you should turn away from it. And that, if you're an instrument of destiny, your only fate is to suffer for it. I don't mm. think that should I don't think that should happen. Like that's that's not the story I want. I, there should be sacrifice and of course there's suffering and there's bittersweetness in in these stories. That's life. We do say Star Wars is tragedy. Mm-hmm. But there should be payoff. Like that's the hero's journey is that there is some kind of reward <laughs> at the but, end yeah. of this. <laughs> Not just for you, but for your community. Yeah. Bringing this elixir back. It's, exactly. Um, and that's that was the end of Return of the Jedi. That's why that ending is so great. Yeah. And it's, it's just interesting to even consider, though, that like potentially – the maybe in another point of view not like the burning had to happen for the end of the rise of skywalker to happen but like maybe question that was the force punishing luke for you know walking in on his his nephew while he was sleeping with a lightsaber and therefore the temple that he had built was burning mm-hmm. to me I, I i think that's a another hard question just because i don't know if the force would punish objects like a temple like that but maybe I, I don't know. You know, it's it's a fantasy, so I guess anything could happen, you know? Yeah. Um, well, the Force isn't given, like, a 
it's not given a face, like one single face, mm. you know? And I think it kind of reminds me, I'm not going to quote it cor- uh, correctly, but I, I kind of think of Freddie Prince Jr.'s rant, remember, last year? And I yeah. think he said that when things go wrong in the galaxy, like when certain choices are made, the force self-corrects. I think that was how he phrased it. I could be wrong, but he that was why he talked about like Luke and Leia being born as twins. Like the force was self-correcting from Anakin being by himself and falling. And so like the birth of the twins was in a way like a self-correction, but it's not that the force didn't like intervene on Anakin. Like Anakin still made his choices and Kylo still made his choices too. But then it's like the force presents another opportunity for different choices to be made with Luke and Leia. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know either. (laughs) Let's talk about Raylo and the dyad and the certain mirrors that were happening in this comic because there were explicit moments. Mm -hmm. First off, the costume that Ben has originally looks to me very similar color palette and structure to Ray's costume. And then also when he gets like... (laughs) dressed up for the Knights of Ren. That costume also is pretty uh, similar to Rey's sort of structured vest and everything that she wears in The Last Jedi. I just thought that was interesting. And I also really liked, this is debated online, but I do like the way that the the lightsaber holster that's like on the back. What did you, what do you think about that? I, when I first saw his like Knight of Ren costume, I was like, oh, Han Solo in black. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's true. I like the I, the reason why I like the holster is because then it kind of makes me think of um, the rise of Skywalker and the moment where the the lightsaber pass it mm-hmm. pass happens and it's right there. And I think that was purposeful. And I, I like that purposeful choice because there's a little bit of a familiarity there. Also, because in that moment when that happens, Ben is fighting the Knights of Ren, so perhaps there was this sort of uh, remembrance that that's where his lightsaber was before or something like that. I, I don't know. I liked it. Yeah. I mean, I liked the the costumes are so important and seeing the trajectory to him putting on the mask at the end of it, it's important. And I thought that the symbolism of it was, was nicely done, honestly. It, you know, of course, going from the white temple robes into the black, it's Oh, I see what's happening here. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's I, pretty easy to understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I get what you're. I get the interpretation there, Charles. <laughs> that one I get. But I was really glad to see like Tiny Ray, and and I guess not in Carplot. <laughs> yeah, I was- I think when this comic was coming out, I, I think that so many Raylos were like, you know, it would be so cool if we got some sort of. Uh, Ray recognizing Ben in the in the forest and this is something that I think we had all wanted for a while this understanding that maybe they were aware of each other mm-hmm. when they were younger and that they were were always cosmically connected somehow and this comic confirms that like that how great is that? how cool is okay. it that we have there's, this sort of confirmation there's so much fanfic out there of them having dreams of each other like their whole life and it really feeds into, especially Force Awakens, of Kylo being like, what girl? <laughs> it, yeah. It sounds like a place of, it's so strange. I've seen a girl in my dreams for like the past 10 years. What's that about? 
I think I can fully believe that now. Yeah. I, I think it used to be a headcanon, but to me, this confirms that they've been feeling each other in their big moments their entire life. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, you know, Ray feeling Ben's fall and feeling it being cold, I think, I don't know, it was such a great choice and it was bold. That was, I guess, in to my earlier comment of I was not surprised about anything in, in this besides the temple burning. I was surprised that they went there and did that <laughs> just because I didn't think they would, even though I had canoned it, you know, all these type of things. And I, I'm just happy that they did it. And it, it really like fed me. And I think it also just plays into the whole soulmate dyad situation that was brought up in the Rise of Skywalker. I think um, this is one of my favorite things about the Rise of Skywalker is definitely how they basically labeled their relationship (laughs) in this yard (laughs) literally (laughs) they define their relationship in the most mythic sense (laughs) and having it depicted and not only just seeing ray right it's not just that but it was great to see leia feel it as well which i think Mm -hmm. we all would have imagined considering what we've seen throughout the sequel trilogy leia feels big moments throughout her family's life yeah and Um, So also seeing Rey included in this, not only does it really underscore her connection with Kylo and how integral how integral um, she is to Ben's story and Ben's return to the light, um, but also that they are cosmically connected and we need more dyad stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was. It was good. I'm glad that Ankar Plot was in this scene. Honestly, like a reminder of where Ray is in her life. It was good that he was there. We didn't just see her on the desert by herself. Um, that she is kind of, especially for how young she was, she was, you know, basically owned, for lack of a better word, by Ankar Plot, quote unquote, in his care. But we see that he doesn't really care for her at all in any kind of sense of the word. So, yeah, it was that you're right. That was surprising. I wasn't expecting Ray <laughs> to pop up <laughs> in this, and I, I, I want more dyad content. That's that's that on that on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you think, Caitlin, that Adam was at least semi-aware of at least a part of this story? No, I. Do you think? Do you think he like made up his own? Yeah, I do. I don't think Adam needed this story. It's kind of like us. Like, we didn't need this story to feel empathy for Kylo. We already had it. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that I think that Adam was told, like, you're the son of Han and Leia. They weren't as present in your childhood as you wanted them to be. Again, doesn't mean that they weren't actually there, but from Tiny Ben's perception, it wasn't enough. And I think JJ says it in the Force Awakens commentary of, like, there was someone after their boy from the very beginning. And if Kylo knew that, or if Adam knew that, that there was this voice in his head from the very beginning, I think I, I still hold that Adam knew that Kylo was going to be redeemed yeah. at the end of this. So that would have been playing into everything. And for there to be redemption, there has to be sympathy. And I think Adam has always felt that for Kylo Ren. So I don't think, because I don't think this whole thing I don't know. I don't think the details of this temple thing were really thought out until The Last Jedi, so or even kind of visualized until The Last Jedi. So I don't 
I don't think that Adam knew. I wonder if he he's interested. Now. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I would assume. I think he does because I actually do think that he has uh, a closeness to the character of Kylo Ren. And he's someone who I believe is still sent certain things like this. So yeah. I actually wouldn't be surprised if he has read this, knows about it. But I will say the only thing that gives me pause is during the press junket, the one day of press that he did for The Rise of Skywalker, he was asked that question that I refer to a lot in my brain of, do you know something about your character Kylo Ren that no one else knows, including not in like, I don't remember, I don't remember how it was phrased, but it basically yeah. meant like not in the movie. And he kind of laughed and was like, yeah, I do. You know, yes, yes, I do. And I think that there are things that were, like you mentioned, um, part of the character originally. And a lot of that is just built into the fact that when you're Han and Leia's son, you have a legacy problem. Yeah. And it's always going to be part of that. And, like, how do you deal with that legacy problem? Like, you don't need the nitty gritty of the temple story to kind of really figure that out. You don't need the nitty gritty of, like, choosing your name um ben solo to kylo ren and how you even did that like at the end of the day ben wanted to change his name from the name of legends to something that was his own and i think this comic does it really brilliantly by referring to his name as something that he thought of as a child which is is very heartbreaking this idea of ben when he was younger just wanting to be someone else so then inventing like a new persona for himself and like thinking of himself as a different name and holding that with him until he was an adult, it's sad. And um, I thought that that was a really interesting artistic choice in terms of writing. But I think, referring to Adam, I think that his performance is informed by this tragic notion of understanding legacy and mm-hmm. um, the the problems that go into that, especially... In a, in a movie series that is so, you know, outside of the canon is like it's not the, the fascinating thing about the Kylo Ren character is that it's not just um, the fact that the character itself is the son of Han and Leia. But like there's a lot of pressure on the outside to be the, the sole character who carries on the legacy name in the, the trilogy. So like there's a part of that as well. And then not on top of that as well, the character who kills Han Solo all these things I think are a part of Adam's performance and things that he's aware of and things of that he thinks about thought about deeply. Um, and whether or not he knew about the story, I just don't think really matters at the end of the day, just because I think the story that he crafted for his own performance is like a bullet point version of this anyway. <laughs> you yeah, know, like the big nothing contradicts it. it yeah. So. And it goes along with, like things that are in the last jedi novelization too so what like you're right i think like he knows about this now and you're right Mm -hmm. he does have i think what i would assume is like a very a lot of affection for the character of kylo and so i wouldn't be surprised if he was sent this or bought it maybe maybe it's really adam driver who's buying this thing in bulk and that's why it's performed (laughs) so well (laughs) He has boxes and boxes of the Kylo Ren comics in his, in his garage. The <laughs> like instead of, at Halloween, instead of candy, he's gonna pass out the Kylo Ren comic. 
Oh, I love that. Can so you imagine much. if you went to Adam Driver's house for Halloween as a kid, dressed up as Kylo Ren, and then Adam Driver gave you the Kylo Ren comic instead of a candy bar? Oh my god! I know that, that he gets trick or treaters. You know that yeah. that's like a big thing in his interviews. He talks about he doesn't really like Halloween, but the <laughs> the whole thing. Oh my god, that would be great. I yeah, yes please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I you're right. I think he I think he probably knows about it now. But I think that all the pieces for Kylo's character, like we've talked about, I think Kylo has the clearest arc among all three films, and I feel like that's because Adam knew where it was going in the end. Just to kind of conclude our discussion here, I was wondering if we could sort of define Ben's personality from this comic. It's it's a weird question, but I think this is the most we've seen of Ben Solo. And his personality was uh, written in this comic. So what do we, like, if you could summarize it in a sentence, what would be Ben's personality? <sighs> I don't know if I can, honestly, because this is this is a snapshot of the most intense moment of his life. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't know if I would say that his like like your personality is made up of like your everyday, and mm. I don't really think we've seen a lot of that with Kylo, with Ben. I think that's the tragedy of his character is that like we've said, he never got to be Ben Solo. He never did. Like like you said, he's thought of the same Kylo basically for his entire childhood kind of building this persona of who kylo was and then snoke helped him craft it into being kylo ren that we see in the sequel trilogy and once he finally finds his way back to ben solo he dies so i don't know if i could say what his personality is i'd be interested to hear your answer but i think in this comic he's he he's incredibly conflicted and lost and then he he decides on a he's decisive at the end of it he decides on a path and he's going to go on that path come hell or high water i think you're right i was gonna say that he is a conflicted isolated kid with an immense weight on his shoulders and his personality is to uh sort of bury that bury all of that in a sort of quiet way in fierce way when it comes to fighting but maybe ben's personality is what we saw at the end of the rise of skywalker when he returns to ray Ben's personality, really, if you could define it, is this uh, aggressive fighter, this Han Solo-esque person who uh, pulls himself out of the pit and drags himself over to save the person that he loves. And maybe that is who Ben Solo is in trying to define him in this comic does it make sense because that is the end of his personality and it is the beginning of his personality because at that point he had no voices in his head and he was able to be himself completely right yeah yeah sad <laughs> yeah i've that's... had nervous laughter i'm like <laughs> damn that's it you, you yeah. did it <laughs> yeah okay well i think that's gonna wrap up our show <laughs> Okay, but the moral of the story is that I actually really do miss talking about Kylo Ren, and yeah. it's been a while, and I want to talk about him more. One th- un- one bonus thing, I think it's adorable that his ship is called the Grimtash, because if you look it up, it's an Alderanian monster from, like, myth in Alderaan, and, like, how cute is it that his, <laughs> his ship is named after Alderanian legend? 
Like, wow. It's very cute. <laughs> Ben's so a cute great. kid. Like, I know. <laughs> you know, I just <laughs> clearly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I we need more Ben Solo content. So, yep. Whatever form that comes in, I will take it. I guarantee it's going to do well. This is just the tip of the iceberg. I hope. Anyway, so yeah, I'm really glad to have read it. It was uh, unlike Charlotte. I have not watched the Last Jedi yet since <laughs> the Rise of Skywalker. So this was like the most time I've spent with Ben Solo since uh, since the Rise of Skywalker. So it was it was good to come back, and it was nice to talk about him again. And I really do hope we get more because this this really laid a lot more explicit foundation stones for Ben's story and I I want to see more of it I, just like mm-hmm. I want to see more from all of our characters so yeah um and Ben Solo is my fave so he gets, <laughs> he gets first billing in my in my wish list <laughs> totally yeah <laughs> okay well I think that is actually going to wrap up this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Have you read The Rise of Kylo Ren? What did you think about it? You can tell us all about it online on Twitter is where we're most active at SkyTalkersPod or our personal handle. Charlotte's is at Clarity and mine is at Caitlin Pleasure. Coming up next for you guys, we have our summer series. Um, we'll tell you what it's about later. <laughs> <laughs> we actually do know what it's about, <laughs> but uh, we're working really hard on it, and I think you guys are really going to like it. So if you have any guesses, let us know too online. And you can also find us at skytalkers.com or on Facebook and Instagram. And if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes, shameless plug to take a second and go and do that. We would really appreciate it. And if you're interested in other ways to support us, you can head on over to Patreon and check out our reward tiers there. Yeah. And I want to say a big thank you to these patrons, Lauren, Bethany, Jackson, Joey, Mike, Brandon, Jonathan, Francois, Tom, Lady Valkyrie, Kimberly, Josh, Ian, Dylan, Daniela, Jackson, Nikki, Sean, Kevin, Ewan, Emily, Dave, Hammy, Jordan, John, and Nicole. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.